Um, no, great. Welcome to, uh, really welcome, and again, great to have you back for a little time this afternoon before you go out and enjoy the city and make new friends. Anybody make a new friend over the last uh, morning or two? Yeah, it's been so fun just to watch new relationships built in real time. We have three goals for this kind of afternoon tutorial together. One is just to let you know what's coming in the next year from Practicing the Way. Two, to talk about how to integrate resources into your church. And three, give a kind of short training on how to actually run a practice if you decide to do so. So first off, as I said this morning, Practicing the Way was born out not of a crisis of faith, but of discipleship. And as you know, we embarked on a kind of five-year reading and research project on formation, just asking a very simple question. How do people change to become more like Jesus? And the follow-up to that, or the shadow side to that, why do so many of us not change, or struggle to change, or hit a plateau, or a concrete wall at some point in our growth and maturity? The first thing we did was come up with what I say we call, but I think this is Ortberg's language, a working theory of change. It is our belief that every pastor, every church, and every follower of Jesus has a working theory of change, whether it is conscious or unconscious, effective or ineffective, intentional or haphazard, working for you or working against you. We all have some theory of how we grow, how we kind of come out of the waters of baptism and grow and mature into somebody who is like Jesus. Sadly, most people's theory of change is not working, or at least not very well, past a certain kind of elementary point of discipleship. It's likely effective early on in the spiritual journey, but less than so as you go forward. So we came up with this, we call it a working theory, a theory because this is not chapter and verse, this is not dogma or doctrine. It is our best attempt at a synthesis of biblical theology, Christian spirituality for 2,000 years from various traditions and the best of the social sciences. But it's a working theory, meaning it is road tested. And while it is not a silver bullet at all, it does work. Now, I do not have time to teach on this and you are grateful to God for that. It would take a very long time to do that well. But for now, we realized, if you think about our kind of that, that paradigm on the right-hand side, we realized that teaching was a strong point in our church and that the Sunday kind of teaching slot could really be repurposed well to deliver teaching on formation. Now, there are issues with that. It's a monologue, not a dialogue. It's best for certain types of learners, not all of learners. Again, nothing is perfect, but that was a really good delivery vehicle for teaching on formation. We were really weak on community at the time. We had been moving toward a kind of network of house churches model and saying things like, Bridgetown is a network of house churches that come together on Sunday, and they do life together all week long and come together on Sunday to kind of gather in Jesus' name. But at that point, that was a little bit more of a vision pitch from the lead pastor. It was more aspirational than reality-based. It took us years to get our entire church really into a table-based community in a neighborhood, and we lost a ton of people in that multi-year transition. But in hindsight, I just feel that it was 100% worth it. I'm sure I would do things differently at some level, but not overall. Communities right now at Bridgetown are the strongest they have ever been. I would need Gav, wherever he is, to give the exact stat, but you know, most kind of congregational churches rarely have more than 40% of their people in small groups. I think Bridgetown is around 90% right now. 
And I say that not to brag on Bridgetown, just to say it can be done. When people tell you it can't, I, I just don't think that's true. But the non-existent piece was practice. It was literally like nowhere to be found in our church model at all. We did not have a practice-based approach to discipleship. Put another way, you know, our church was set up more for information than formation. But if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally ends every single one of his kind of 14 teacher teachings that together compose or comprise the Sermon on the Mount with what the ethicist Glenn Stassen of Fuller calls a transforming initiative, a like small, easily attainable micro practice or spiritual exercise to move forward in formation, to turn that idea or scripture reference into a habituated reality in the body. So, you know, the first one is his teaching on anger and, you know, Willard's whole thing of anger is rooted in contempt and all of that. And at the very end, there's this little practice. So leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. On fasting, it's so wash your face and put oil on your head. These are very like pragmatic, nuts and bolts, easily attainable, most anyone can do them kind of practices that are at the end of each teaching. And of course, he begins and he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this bookend idea of practice. So chapter five, Matthew, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he ends, literally at the very end, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he goes on. And we realized two very simple things. One, that the evangelical tradition that we came out of had a very narrow range of practices or spiritual disciplines that, uh, that I'm really grateful for. It was the morning quiet time, which people mock that. I don't know if that's just my world, where people, normally when you hear people talk about a quiet time, it's like a joke. I can't imagine a better way to start your day than in quiet prayer with Jesus in scripture. I, for one, am all for it. Um, and there was church on Sunday, there was tithing, and there was intercessory prayer. That was about it. And those are all wonderful things, but we found that they were woefully inadequate to yield a kind of holistic approach to high-level transformation. Secondly, we realized that the perfect storm of secularism, the breakdown of the family, which is a massive piece, the attractional church, the size of church, and the iPhone had wiped out the practice of the very few spiritual discipline that were the hallmarks of evangelical spirituality. In previous eras, and this is my take, and I could be wrong, but I, I don't think so. In previous eras, pastors could assume a basic life architecture of discipleship. You did not have to teach on Sabbath because until the late 60s, it was illegal to open a business on Sundays. Like I talked to my dad who, you know, grew up and he's not that old, he's 72. He grew, well, that's kind of old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's not that old. Grew up in Silicon Valley before it was con called Silicon Valley. And he just tells stories about what Sunday was like in the 50s and 60s when he was a high school student, a college student in the 70s, and how everyone went to church. You were either Catholic, Protestant, or if you weren't a Christian, you went to a mainline church. But everybody would go. And then afterwards, you, and he wasn't a Christian, so he went to a mainline church. Um, and uh, afterwards you would have Sunday dinner and maybe hang out with the family and that was it. And he, and he told me about how revolutionary it was when 7-Eleven came to town and opened and you could go buy like a soda on a Sunday. 
I Googled it. It was 1969. That is not that long ago. In a half a century, Sabbath has been obliterated from the cultural architecture of the West with little to zero discussion or discernment from the people of Jesus or the world as a whole. And we wonder about the skyrocketing rate of mental health and illness and divorce and so much more. My point is, in that generation, you did not necessarily need a Sabbath teaching series or whatever because it was built into the cultural architecture. And so you could just stand up in a Sabbath experience of church and teach Romans or teach Ephesians or whatever God was stirring in your heart. But now, and you could assume, like even I remember this when I was starting out, it was about kind of at the time, 40 and up, who had been around the church, I could just assume they likely begin their day, their morning with a quiet time. They're likely giving something to the church. They likely come to church most weekends. The Bible for them is likely an aid to faith rather than a stumbling block. Now, when I'm talking to an educated, sharp, wonderful 28-year-old in our church living here, I basically assume all of the opposite things. And so that just means that we have to go way back to the beginning. As the saying goes, you know, practices are better caught than taught. And so like in hindsight, I'm thinking about the practices that were in the church tradition I came up in. You know, I was integrated into them at like four years old. You know, I've been reading through the Bible since, I don't know if this is spiritual abuse or not, but I think I started when I was seven. It's like Genesis to Revelation every single year. That was just built, no, I'm not joking. And there was a rule in my family. My dad called it no Bible, no breakfast. So we had to read our Bible before we could eat breakfast. And Mock it all you want, but I'm the oldest of four. My little brother is playing drums. All of us to this day wake up in the morning and we read scripture before we do anything else, you know? Um, and, and the other two have deconstructed their faith and hate. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. None of them have. I do have a sister in LA who's a little bit iffy, but if you're sitting now, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, not at all. Like, so I, I, I just caught that. You know what I mean? Like, I remember Sabbath wasn't a thing in my church tradition, but Sunday was the Lord's Day. If you grew up in a tradition like that or remember that. I remember Saturday nights, like, we would not watch a movie on Saturday nights. My dad loved, like, Disney movies and stuff like that. No movie on Saturday night. Saturday night, we'd have family devotions. We'd get our little, you know, allowance. We'd tithe into the envelopes. You remember that? And we'd prepare our heart for worship the next day. Now, that's a family thing, you know, where you're in culture that is pretty much gone. Ask how many 23-year-olds in your church right now are ha have had that experience, or how many 14-year-olds are. I mean, you're, you're looking at low single digits. So that just means what I'm trying to figure out how to do with, in, in this kind of a Portland urban context, pretty much well-educated, vocationally successful, intellectually sophisticated people who have, I'm trying to teach them what somebody taught to me when I was four, five, and six years old. And that's not, a, that's not a condescending statement at all. It's a, an honest assessment, walking these people into the practices for the spiritual life and so much more, how to deal with conflict, how to be in relationship, how to have a body, how to integrate your sexuality, so many of these other things. My point is just, we have to go back to an earlier point in our discipleship models and walk people into a life of apprenticeship to Jesus. So, as you know, we came up with Practicing the Way, uh, originally called Curriculum for Christ Likeness, this five-year initiative at Bridgetown that just finished last year. That was 1.0. What's coming next is 2.0. So we spent time as leaders 
gathering up all that we have learned via trial and error over the last five years. And then we had about 20 churches, a bunch of whom are in the room. We are so grateful for you. Beta test a bunch of the practices that were terrible and not like ready yet at all and give us constructive criticism and ideation and thought process and R&D. And then we compiled like a ton of feedback all together and basically developed a plan for the next phase to synthesize and simplify what we did at Bridgetown down to something much more streamlined and to make it accessible for you, for churches at large, not just for us in Portland, but for wider cultural context and all of that. Phase one, which should take us about two years to release, if all goes well, is nine practices that together make up a rule of life. They are Sabbath, prayer, fasting, silence, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, and hospitality. These will be short, four-week-long community experiences designed to walk people into these kind of core ancient disciplines. You know, a lot of people just equate spiritual formation with spiritual disciplines. That is a misfire. There's a lot more to the healing and growth of the soul, as you know, than developing a rule of life. Community, the healing of memories, trauma, attachment, theology, deliverance, there's so, the human soul is so beautifully complex and exquisite. But while the disciplines are not everything, they are very, very important. And they are, for most people, the beginning of a life of discipleship. They're kind of like dribbling drills to basketball. Like, I don't care if you're Steph Curry, you never mature beyond the basics. You have to go far beyond the dribbling drills, but that's where you start. Together, these nine practices form a rule of life for the modern era that is conducive to transformation. Our vision is to help people and churches design a life and community architecture that they can live into and grow up in with Jesus for decades to come. So our first practice comes out in two weeks. It's the Sabbath practice. And our plan is to drip them about at a rate of about three a year, one in fall, one in winter. This year we're releasing prayer, one in spring. This year the plan is fasting. And if funding comes in, um, turn all of this kind of vision into a reality. Then starting in early 2024, we have a whole bunch of other offerings coming. Stay tuned for that. But that's kind of a 30,000 foot view of what's coming over the next year or two. Now let's just talk about how, if you choose to, you can integrate this into your church. As I said, the Sabbath practice that we're releasing in just a few weeks is not a repeat of the Bridgetown model, which if you're familiar with that, was kind of like three months to soak in a practice with a pretty in-depth Sunday teaching series and a church-wide initiative run through communities. Version kind of 2.0 that we made for you will be much easier to run. You can do that if you want, but it will be much easier, way lower bar of entry for your community. The practices are four session experiences designed to be done over four weeks, though you could do it at whatever pace you want. What is a practice exactly? It is a community experience where people come together, ideally for a meal, but that's up to you, more on that in a minute. There's a shorter teaching, about 20 minutes max, with directed conversations before and after that is followed then by weekly spiritual exercises where people go out and they don't just hear about Sabbath, they go out and practice Sabbath or fasting or simplicity or where they give stuff away or hospitality, they start building relationships with people on the margins or whatever it is. And then they reflect and then come back together to kind of debrief their experience and move forward. And through it, integrate these ancient kind of practices from the way of Jesus into their life 
with the end of just the kind of goal of how do we order and organize our whole life around communion with God and community with his people. Now we designed it to be multimodal in Silicon Valley speak, meaning just to run on a variety of platforms in your church. At a philosophical level, we exist to serve you. You do not exist to serve us. That goes without saying. We are not, I'll make this very clear, we are not trying to come in and and re-architect your church, like you are the pastor, you are the elder team, that is your spiritual responsibility before God. Though we would love to be a conversation partner with you as you kind of experiment in a wider learning community that we're a part of, but we set out to design something that you could integrate into your church as it is and serve you. At a pragmatic level, we designed it to run in multiple settings. Here's a few ideas. This is actually an abbreviated list, but here's just a few ideas. The first one would be small groups. You could run it through all of your small groups or one or two or three as a church-wide initiative that you tie to a church teaching series or just to one or two or three that are interested. Or you could run it with other kind of affinity groups like a mom's group on Thursday morning or a college group on Friday night or men's Bible study Saturday morning or whatever. In a typical small group or affinity-based group, people are all over the board as far as their commitment level and the social contract is different for each person. So we built it around a baseline that is, is pretty doable and then to each week we added reach exercises for those that are more serious and wanna like kind of go for it and get like soak the marrow out of it kind of thing. We're guessing that small groups will be the most common way that people utilize the practices. So we made it really intuitive for a volunteer small group leader to kind of operate, but that's not the only option. Second would be, and a little bit similar but different, like a formation group. So I chatted to a pastor from LA, I'm not sure where you are, I know you're here somewhere. Um, you know, they're running the Sabbath practice this fall, and he said the plan was like, I think it was a seven-week teaching series on Sabbath, and then they're starting 10 formation groups that will all run the Sabbath practice for four weeks. And the beauty of that model is people get to self-select, and so you kind of weed out all of the people that have no interest in practicing Sabbath, and you kind of get all the people that are like, yes, I want that, I desire that, how do we work it out together? Um, or people that love the idea, but they just had a baby or they're in residency and it's just not a great time for them to figure out like a Sabbath liturgy and where do I get the candles or whatever it is. <laughs> so you curate a group that is, you know, kind of all in. Third option would be as a course. You could run it like Alpha or Alpha Marriage as a course on a midweek night or again on the weekend or whatever you wanted. This could easily be done with a few hundred people in a room as say a midweek Wednesday night discipleship night or formation night that you do you know, two or three times a year for a short run. Uh, Andrew Rothrock, are you here from Bend? Andrew, I heard you were here, but he didn't come back for the afternoon. Um, Andrew, who's wonderful, leads a great church in Bend called River Bend. They're doing like, I think they call it Sunday nights at River Bend, where they're doing like a comeback, they do a meal together, they're going through practices, they're one of our beta churches, beautiful. You could have a pastor oversee it as a larger group. Um, you could do a large meal or worship beforehand or prayer, whatever. It's very customizable for you. On a similar note, I doubt very many of you have, I grew up like in the Sunday school model of church where like you would come to the worship service and then there was a second hour. 
which you know, we kind of moved way away from for a very long time. And we actually really wanted to bring that back at Bridgetown. We just don't have, you have to have the right facility to pull that off. It's actually more and more in the kind of moment that we're living through, I find it a really compelling model. So you could do a version of this. We did a version like on Sunday afternoons where we'd run like four practices at a time. Uh, all live teaching at this point, but because we had kind of all the resources that we developed, and people could self-select. And like the largest one was 80, the smallest one was 20, and it was like Sabbath and scripture, and I think Bethany did like our version of emotionally healthy spirituality, and then there was another one, I, fasting I think it was, Jaron did fasting, and it was beautiful. It's like just a short five-week sprint is how we did it that time, this one will be four weeks, where people can kind of come together and do it in that format. Again, it's very flexible. Fourth, you could run it like a cohort. We, this is more work, this is a lot more work. We did this at Bridgetown, it was one of the kind of architecture models that we have tried. And uh, we did an early iteration with Brian that you'll meet in just a minute down in Southern California called the Apprentice Cohort, where we took people on kind of a nine month journey that was a really high bar of entry with like reading and exercises and group spiritual direction and a weekly meeting together. And uh, eventually we'll have enough of a resource library that you could use all of our materials to start. You'd have to mix and mash and do your own stuff and all that kind of stuff. But it's a really cool model that just is kind of like an immersive nine month long or however you want to do it, deep dive into discipleship. Some of you, some Antioch crew here, they have an incredible model like that that they're running. Uh, fifth and last would be church-wide. You could do what we did at Bridgetown where we use Sunday to deliver the teaching and our home communities for the practices and conversation and kind of reflection together. We did not lead with that model again. One, because that is way too invasive and a really high bar of entry for most churches that aren't just like willing to bet the, the farm on the whole thing. Um, but, and we wanted to make something more accessible, but also because now five years in, you know, we can tell you there are pros and cons to this model. And for each one of these options, there's pros and there's cons. The pro to what we did at Bridgetown is we took our entire church on a five-year in-depth journey into formation. The con was we took our entire church <laughs> on a five-year journey into formation. And, uh, you know, it had a huge impact on the overall culture of our church and certain people. But it actually was really frustrating because, you know, in a, in a Sunday kind of context, you have people that aren't even Christians who are actually not really much of a problem at all. It was the people that were more in that nominal space and wanted something out of the church, but not like, how do I apprentice under Jesus? Or even people that were like, they really wanted that, but they just were diagnosed with stage four cancer. And they're not like in the fasting practice right now. They're just trying to get through chemotherapy. And so, you know, that's the challenge of doing it with everybody's, again, pros and cons. There is no silver bullet here at all. If you do it with your whole church, you'll likely have the most, you'll get the most pushback that way and the most problems, and it will likely have the biggest effect on your church, but not necessarily the biggest effect on the individual people. That might come through a formation group or a course where people can kind of self-select I am all in. Again, no silver bullet. You may come up with other options, and that's where we want to really create lines of communication. We want to learn uh, from you as well as with you. Please let us know what you are learning as you do this stuff or other stuff and put it all together. My point is we designed this to run on a variety of kind of platforms to serve you from a random volunteer on a Thursday night with six people in the church basement or a living room to your entire church doing the Sabbath practice or whatever with the sermon series and all the bells and whistles. 
A few follow-up questions to hit on before we kind of move on to the nuts and bolts. Um, do you need, do we need to do a Sunday teaching series with the practice? No, absolutely not. The practices are all self-contained, can literally be run by a volunteer with four people. Um, but as you all know, depending on your model of church, if you prayer the practices with a teaching series, it's likely to have a really, a far greater effect on the culture of your church. But again, that's a higher bar of entry and not necessary. Secondly, do we need to use the films? Um, no, you do not. Again, we exist to serve you. We are not interested in quality control of our product. We just wanna help you and serve you and learn with you. You can literally push play. It will do all the heavy lifting. Uh, we spent a bunch of money. The same crew that did all the alpha stuff did this. They're amazing up in Vancouver, BC. Go Canada. Or we'll make all the notes for each session available on our platform. And you or a staff member or a pastor or a volunteer can teach it live. Or you can do 50, 50 like a lot of people do with alpha, kind of you know one week film, another week somebody from your team or your staff or whatever. Or you can adjust it all you want. Add a week, subtract a week, change the content, the sky is the limit. Not that we encourage that per se, but it is all, again, we exist to serve you. These four kind of sessions that we filmed are our best attempt to introduce people and into a practice and integrate it into their life. But you know your people, you know your context, you know your church tradition, you know your theological background, you know where your people are at. So just please here on behalf of me and our, our little team, you have our full blessing to do whatever you discern is best. Just share with us all your better ideas that we don't have yet. Um, finally, where should we start? That's, there's not a right answer to that. You may wanna just go for it and run it church-wide on whatever platform you choose. But another option, especially for those of you that are interested but not sure, um, and we, again, you haven't even seen this yet, is to just run it with your elders or your staff or some kind of a leadership group first, say this fall, and then with your church in January or whenever is the right time. We started our journey into formation that way with um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which we are just very much fans of. I went through it first. Well, I went through it actually when I was 23. It was on, back in the day, it was on Rob Bell's recommended reading list. And I'm like, what a weird title, Emotionally Healthy Church. It was the Emotionally Healthy Church. I think I was 23 years old. I read it and loved it, thought it was wonderful. And then spent the next 10 years of my life doing everything he said not to do. <laughs> and came back to it at 33 in a midlife crisis, burned out, barely get out of bed in the morning and read it again and was like, oh. Now I get it. And I was ready to receive it. So I went through it, and it uh, with, uh, with a close friend, revolutionary, um, then I went through with my wife, then we went through it as staff and elders, and then we brought it to our church, and it was revolutionary. In fact, that was one of the first moments that, that was like the super early seeds of what later became Practicing the Way, because I'd grown up with such a strong Bible teaching tradition, which I'm grateful for, I have no criticism of, but, um, I had been teaching the Bible for a very long time, and you know, I grew up in a church tradition where if you were to do a sermon series based on a book, like one called Emotionally Healthy, they might as well just have been like, you know, a sermon series on heresy or whatever, you know, like promoting it, by the way, not, not working against it. Like you just did not do that. That's what like bad Christians did or whatever. We teach the Bible. So this is the first, it was really humbling for me to like, and we taught the Bible each week. We would open the scripture and stuff like that. But then you'd like, they'd read the chapter from EHS or whatever. I saw more 
growth, maturity, and change in our church in those two months than I had seen in 12 years of pastoring previously. And it was really sobering. And I thought, what did we just tap into that we've not been able to get access to for over a decade? And there was something about holistic approach to discipleship, good theology, practice, because each week you do something, and community and honesty and vulnerability. There was something about that little wheel that had not at that point been a part of our church that we were tapping into that was just, wasn't a silver bullet, but it was a heck of a lot more effective than what we had been doing. So that's a way you could do it. You could just kind of journey in at your own pace with you, with your leaders, see what you think, grow. Let It has to become a part of your life and get worked into the fabric of your own body in order to take it to the culture of your church. And that's why we started with Sabbath. You know, we were going to start with this whole other thing and a course and all this stuff, but we started with Sabbath on purpose because you know, at a pastoral level, most people are simply too busy to really cultivate any kind of a meaningful life with God, much less incorporate a bunch of spiritual disciplines into their already over-busy life. Sabbath is a radical discipline of slowing. If you practice it, I mean, just do the math. It's one-seventh of your life. That's a lot of time, and it's a lot of time to make space for God um, I'm sure if, you, if you've ever listened to me talk about Sabbath, you've heard me tell this story, but uh, you know, there was that massive study done on Seventh-day Adventists, which is one of the only Protestant denominations that takes the Sabbath really seriously. And it was a really large, like large data study. And they found two interesting things. One, they found that they were much happier than the general population, which isn't surprising because that's true of religious people in general and Christians in particular. But secondly, they found they lived 11 years longer than the general population. And I read one doctor's like interpretation of the data and he just calculated and he said, if you count up one seventh of your life Sabbath over a lifetime, it's between 10 and 12 years based on that average life. And he theorized that for every day you Sabbath, you get a day of your life added to you. <laughs> so that's why I Sabbath six days a week now. <laughs> and, uh, me, and, me and Peter Thiel are gonna live forever, you know, whatever it is. So we started with Sabbath because it's just radical. Like you make space for God and you, and you create a baseline of rest that then you can begin to do the work of formation alongside Jesus in. So, and of course, everyone in our churches is pretty dang tired. So we started there. Um, now, before we move on, I just wanna hear from a few of our beta church pastors and these, David Kim, if you wanna come up um, wherever you are. These were uh, some pastors that were kind enough to take the existing stuff at Bridgetown, which is not remotely designed for other churches necessarily, and to kind of give it a run in their churches. David Kim's the spiritual formation pastor at Westgate Church in uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, right in the thick of all the things. Um, microphone, microphone, here we go. And uh, so David, just tell us kind of what you're thinking, what you're learning. Really happy you're here and your team. Um, Thanks, Ryan. Where's my team? Woo, yeah. <laughs> Um, thanks for having Look me Look at they're uh, filming. Two of them are yeah. filming you. It's, it's a, a pastor habit. Where's my team? Uh, here, come on over here. Um, yeah, so we are in Silicon Valley, so, and my personality is also wired in this way. As soon as I hear anything you teach, the first thing is, how do I scale this baby? Yeah. And scalability. What a Silicon Valley language. <laughs> right? Scalability, efficiency, effectiveness. And we try to kind of like figure out how do we roll it out to all of our 
life groups. We call them life groups here. And we found that to be for us, yep. at least, uh, as I kind of with my passion behind me, you know, I'll blame, blame it all on me, just found it to be a little bit of a difficult journey for us. And so for us, we've started actually with just few groups that are interested in formation, interested in some of the practices. And one of the beauties of that is that they are all in and they're willing to soak in. And the best part of that is as they, as the three groups finish the process, word of mouth is the kind of the best voice for pastoral vision yes. in the life of the church. And it kind so of gets out like, oh. Yeah, and their, their lives are being transformed. And one of the things that we heard about as they went through the simplicity practice is that uh, what we love about the content is that, you know, you had a question up there about how uh, should we use the film or not? And you said, do whatever you want to do with them. I highly recommend you use the film for us. The, the reason is that it's so holistic and integrated and you do so much of the heavy lifting for us as we think through human psychology, uh, family of origin, reformed tradition, charismatic church, ancient church fathers. You're able to kind of bring all of that in. And so for us as church leaders, we get to put all of our energy into focusing on how does that now practically look for you in Silicon Valley as you live it out. And so we were able to focus a little bit more on the daily practices the than the pastoral it. coaching piece of what it looks like for them in Silicon Valley versus just trying to navigate and add or take away your uh, kind of the holistic teaching, it's yeah. Beautiful. You guys are doing amazing. I love your team. I love your pastor. I love that you guys are doing some really beautiful things. We're so, so grateful. Thank really you. Happy you're here. Thanks. Thanks, David. Um, this is uh, this is John Mark. Come on. Oh, hey, you're not John Mark. Hi, welcome. All right, tell us what you're doing on Arizona. Tell us about it. Uh, my name is Ryan. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm uh, in a church called Living Streams, and. Uh, we brought in this practice in January, and we did our fasting and prayer season, and we kind of wrapped it around the fasting, you know, curriculum that you guys had. And it was really, it was awesome for us, and we taught it on Sunday morning. Uh, we used it as, we kind of used it as inspiration, as structure for us when we're coming up with our sermons. Um, but then we uh, had a midweek fasting and prayer uh, service that we'd put on. And it was awesome. It was really, it was helpful for us to just have a little bit of framework from you guys yes. to say, okay, here's the main things we want to talk about. And then just plugging in our own stuff, you know, just running it with a, a normal, like a normal sermon series. So it was really helpful. It was really That's crazy. awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. so helpful because it's totally different than yeah. what David was just talking about. And, yes. And it worked really, really well. Yeah, it worked great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Thank so, thanks. You. So happy to have you. Arizona, you got out of the heat. All right, this not a joke. This is John Mark. Come on. Asheville, North Carolina. People have been asking me all day if we're brothers because of, of the name. Yeah, but that's not how names our, work. Because our Michael Jackson or something was yeah. our dad named us the same thing. We look a lot alike. People keep telling me. Um, so, yeah, I pastor a church in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, we're an attractional model church. Uh, we plan it with an organization that that's what they do. They, they start churches that grow and grow fast, and that's kind of, it's a Sunday-oriented culture. And uh, it, that always felt a little incomplete to me. There were great systems around it, and we wouldn't be where we are without it. But we hit COVID, and when it, everything kind of hit the fan, um, we realized that we have been selling a product to customers, and when we didn't have the same product to sell, we yeah. lost the majority of, of those business. customers. Yeah. And so wow. my heart during that season was kind of like, what am I doing wrong? I feel like I haven't done what I was called to do this whole time. And I came out of it 
after a journey of sabbatical and studying Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson and this guy, um, excited about this beta church thing. So we signed up and we had always done a tractional teaching series. We changed our teaching structure to more follow what you guys were doing here um, and integrate these practices into it. And then I took a group of hand-selected people and have been taking them since January through all of it. And uh, mm. for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm doing my job. Uh, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. So wow. thank you guys. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Dan, I was just going to call you up on the spot. I'm so happy here. We got to hear from somebody outside of the US, man. This is my friend Dan from New Zealand. Come on. Dan leads, Dan leads, step step into the the video stream for all the online people. Dan leads a a phenomenal church in urban Auckland and I had such a good time down with you and Andy and there's there's a whole crew here from from the island. Well, this is uh, the New Zealand accent. Um, I was having lunch with Brian and a couple of our friends and Brian asked, how long have you guys been friends? I said a decade and he thought I said dickhead. So, (laughs) I'll, I'll just, Um, so vowels, vowels are important. Um, uh, kia ora koutou, uh, ko Dan toko ingoa. Uh, that's just, hello everyone, my name's Dan. And um, yeah, we've been doing the beta. And um, we've done a long lockdown in New Zealand. So we've had a pretty long lockdown period. And so the beta actually fell beautifully over our summer break. So in New Zealand, we do Christmas, New Year, Long summer holidays, all at the start of the year. Southern hemisphere, our yeah, winter, bottom of the world. Um, and so, what was quite beautiful about the beta was we always teach them the Sabbath just coming up to the Christmas break, so people have a big rest. Yes. We kind of give them a bit of an imagination for it. Wow. So our beta groups did the Sabbath one over January and February, off the back mm. of that, and then a couple of other ones did the simplicity one and all that. But but I think what I've loved is I think it was Tyler said before. Even stuff like the rule of life and all that. When, when you get together with someone off the back of these betas and um, you talk about how it went, actually it's stuff like the rule of life and all these practical things that you end up having these deep pastoral chats with. Yes. And there's tactile, tangible, yes. metric things to be able to be like, let's, let's actually go somewhere with this. There, is that, and what do you think that is? Is that, that some of these practices just create space for all yeah. of this stuff? Yeah, to and come language. Up. Like there's a lot of language finding, right? Like naming some stuff that people had hunches on, and now they've got the ability to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's amazing. So well, thank you for that. You're an incredible leader. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Where's this going? And uh, I'll take it. Thank you for now. Well done. So again, just we just want to start stimulating ideas. We'll do more of this down the road where we just get learning from each other. And again, we're really, really early on. So let me just end with a few minutes, kind of a 10-minute on the nitty-gritty, as Nacho Libre would say. <laughs> Running debate in my family over Napoleon Dynamite versus Nacho Libre, which is basically a millennial versus Gen Z opinion matter, you know. I'm a fan of both, but whatever. Let me do a short training on how to actually run this in your church if you so choose to. As I said, the practices are designed to be run over four weeks. Each week goes through also a four-step cycle. Gather learn, practice, reflect. It's very simple. First, you gather, you come together, whether it's 10 people around a dining room in a small group setting, or 30 people in a formation cohort, or 300 people on a midweek discipleship night, however you wanna do it. We highly recommend that you begin with a meal, 
whether that's potluck style in a dining room or uh, you have Chipotle cater your midweek event or whatever and charge people $7 a head to cover costs, whatever you want. This is 100% optional. We are so biased toward the table, it's not even funny. So you're not gonna get a remotely rational theological case from me because I believe so much that the table is the center of the Church of Jesus. So, and I believe that something spiritual happens when we break bread together around a table, and that that is the primary organizing principle of the community of Jesus. So we're just hopelessly biased toward the table. So we would highly encourage you, even if it's quesadillas or however you do it, to just, those of you who know, you know, to just begin with, um, with a meal, with the table, however simple it is. You do not have to do this. You can just come together, welcome people, open in prayer, and hit play. But we highly recommend that you begin with the table. So um, after your meal, you kind of gather people together into the living room, around a TV, or with somebody with notes, or an auditorium, or wherever you're at, open in prayer. And then the next step is learning both by teaching and conversation. This entire part is delivered digitally by us to you. It's available through a web platform that we have built out that is coming soon, but it's easily put up on kind of a TV screen or a stage projector. The film itself, uh, like if you look at the runtime, is about 30 minutes with you know teaching, tutorial, and a few different pieces, a welcome, all that kind of stuff, conversation. But there are two places where you pause it and we create space for conversation. Here's the basic flow of each digital session. There's a welcome from the practice hosts who are Christian, who's leading worship, and Yinka, are you in here with my wife anywhere? No, my wife is playing hooky from the afternoon session with her best friend. Well, that's gonna be an interesting marriage conversation this evening. It'd be wonderful around the dinner table. Um, Christian and Yinka, who is wonderful and lovely, kind of host the experience and open it up with discussion questions where you kind of hit pause on your group and break into triads, whether you have six people in a room or 60. Uh, triads just are kind of word for three-ish person groups, ideally of the same gender. And these groups should stay the same over the four weeks because the goal here is not like meet and greet of new people. The goal here is to push conversation down, not conversation out, to help people get in touch with their inner life and create a safe place to kind of bring that into conversation. Again, vulnerability will be really easy and intuitive for some people, and for the other 98% of the people, it will be a bit of tough sledding. So we wanna start creating that space Week one in the session is just like an intro conversation, like how do you feel about going on the Sabbath practice or whatever, but weeks two, three, and four are where they debrief, like all right, what was your first Sabbath like for you? What was your first experience of fasting, like silence? Was it absolutely terrifying? Did you make it to minute three and you're like, I can't be a Christian anymore, or whatever it was, and try to create an honest place for people to just talk openly about whatever the practice experience was. Then you call the group back together, hit play again and go into the teaching or do this live if you want. Each week the teaching is about 20 minutes long. I did all of the teachings for the Sabbath practice, but our long-term goal, and it's very important to me to say this to you, is for me to do you know, a much lower percentage and to have a team of kind of various teachers from various ethnicities, genders, stages of life, and church traditions. It's very important, that is our end goal. We're not able to start there, but that's where we're heading. After the teaching, uh, Christian and Yinka, the hosts, come back up to kind of set a group-wide discussion. 
hit the pause button again, and you take 20 minutes or whatever, and we would recommend that you don't let this get larger than about 12 to 15 people. So in a small group, it's everybody. If it's like in a course format, break them into kind of subgroups, if that makes sense, around tables. And the idea here is to get everyone kind of in a lively debate where they're workshopping ideas, voicing objections, questions, a good like kind of rigorous discussion. Then uh, you play again, and the film comes back with a short testimonial, which we thought was really important. Just kind of very, like a two or three minute testimonial from an ordinary, quote, person, not a pastor, not paid to work at a church, not from practicing the way, just a person who's working out Sabbath or simplicity or hospitality or whatever it is in their life. This gives people the chance to envision the practice of someone, somebody who doesn't look like me, It isn't in my stage of life, doesn't have my personality or whatever, but is in a totally different and they might find more affinity for. And then it ends with a tutorial on the coming week's exercises. So each week has about two or three exercises. Again, this is the you know, the transforming initiative thing from Glenn Stassen or from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Small, easily attainable first steps into a practice, which are first steps into living the lifestyle of Jesus. So, you know, for week one of Sabbath, it's like you set a time to Sabbath, whether it's a full thing or two or three hours. You come up with the beginning and ending ritual and you pick one to three Sabbath activities to engage in. It's like really low bar of entry, but it is sticky. Like there's something, you either do it, it's measurable, it's the smart goal thing. You know what I mean? It's measurable, you either do it or don't. Then each week also has three optional exercises for those who want to level up. So there's a reach exercise, which is like the high bar, kind of higher bar exercise. So I think in the Sabbath practice, week one, it's to sleep eight plus hours a night for a full seven days. Uh, the whole thing on that. Week two is a digital Sabbath where you power off your phone for a full 24 hours on all devices. Week three is the Sabbath box, and week four is to spend a portion of your Sabbath in silence and solitude. So these are just like for people, most people won't do that, but for those that are like, I wanna, I wanna go full Jesus on the Sabbath. I just wanna, <laughs> I wanna do it. We created that. Um, each week also has recommended reading. So we have a book that we, we have a bunch of recommended reading, but there's one that specifically we recommend you read along for Sabbath. It's Sabbath by Dan Allender. And each week you kind of, it's a short book. Each week you read a few short chapters. And finally, we're very excited about this one. Each week has a podcast episode to listen to if you want. Again, this is all like extra stuff. So um, there's only so much that we can cover in four 18 to 20 minute sessions. So we're launching a new podcast. First one is out, I think next week or the week after that called Rule of Life that will have nine seasons total on each of the nine practices, that will have four episodes that link, that link up with the four sessions that are kind of like a value add. So people can like go through week one of Sabbath, which is stop, week two is rest, week three is delight, week four is worship, and then they can kind of hear an hour-long conversation to go deeper and explore more of that. Season one is myself in conversation with Bethany Allen, who is up here, and Brian Roundson, who's in the back. You're gonna meet him in just a minute. Uh, we developed the practice together, as well as excerpts of interviews that we did with Rich Viotis, Andy Crouch, Tish Harrison Warren, some really amazing people kind of produced really well. So that'll be like just, again, an optional extra for people that are interested, or it might be a beginning place. People are like, oh, I'm not ready to go on a Sabbath practice or whatever, like, listen to this podcast. There's a little, just a little, a little something to get you started. Um, also, to clarify, we will make all of our notes 
for the discussions, for the teaching, for the tutorial, and the exercises, all of that available to you on our site, so you can do the whole thing live or however you want to do it. Or again, you can just push play. So that's kind of step two. Back to the four kind of step thing. The third step is practice. Then people go out and practice. So we don't just like talk about Sabbath or fasting or prayer. like we go out and pray. We go out and simplify our life and our home and our schedule and our closet and our garage and all of that kind of stuff. It's the Jesus line teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We've created like a companion guide for each practice that has the exercises written out along with the reach exercises, recommended reading, podcast, all of that and some space for journaling. The guide is available either as a free digital download that you can just like click on the PDF or in a print-on-demand version that will be on the internet for whatever the cost is for that. Um, and that you can either pre-order and have ready to give all to your people when they show up for the night one or have your people pre-order however you want to do it. That's what we recommend just because we're kind of a little bit Luddite when it comes to technology. And I don't find the phone to be specially helpful when I'm trying to fight distraction in prayer. So a piece of paper is a little bit less distracting for me. So we would recommend the print-on-demand version, but they are both uh, available for you. Then finally, we built this kind of fourth step in, and that is just reflect. Trevor Hudson, who's a kind of Protestant scholar on Ignatian spirituality, in his teaching on the prayer of examine, has this great line, we don't change from experience, we change when we reflect on our experience. And so each week ends with a short practice reflection where the participants take, I mean, literally five minutes, 10 minutes max, to kind of journal out answers to three very simple questions in the guide or in their journal, whatever they want. And then when they come back together for the next session and their little triad, then they can just read that or share that with one another, just kind of share what they are experiencing with God. And really what we're trying to do here is just train people to pay attention to their inner life with God and to move beyond surface level conversation into vulnerability and community. So that's it, gather, learn, practice, reflect. That may sound like a lot, but I promise you it's, it's really intuitive. We kind of tried to design it almost like, like an Apple product, you know what I mean? Like if you can figure out the on button, you're pretty much fine. And if you wanna do like the YouTube like rabbit hole and learn all the fancy things, you can, but you can kind of just push on, follow a couple of prompts and you're off and going. It's really easy to use. One last thing before your first session together as a group, three things need to happen. One, um, your leader, be it a volunteer, a small group leader, or a discipleship pastor, needs to create an account at practicingtheway.org. Our automate, automated system will immediately create a very simple kind of easy link that they can send out to the group via text or email or social media, DM, whatever is easy. And that whole process should take just a few minutes. Secondly, once people are registered, they will get two things from us via automated email. A spiritual health reflection that they can take digitally if they want to self-assess kind of where they are at in their formation. If you think of like maps on your phone, when you, you know, type in you want directions from, you know, your maps app, it starts by placing you where you actually are and then from there, a route to your desired destination. So it's kind of that same idea, but in formation. Again, that's just like an optional thing that people will get in an email. And then a primer, and this, at least for people that are the first time on a practice, is highly recommended. It's basically a 15-minute film, that's me doing this thing, that does kind of a 30,000-foot, like, I attempted to take like a 10-week teaching series and say it in like 13 minutes 
of basically what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus, to follow after Jesus, how do we change, what are the practices, what are they doing, are we earning God data? It's a couple things like that, and then just a few tips for as you begin to experiment with a practice. And you kind of, that, that, this primer is designed to be watched where people, wherever they are, before they come to that first session. So if you're the leader, it's just, hey, watch the primer. We're meeting Thursday night at seven. We got pizza and whatever, and wine, and then we're gonna do, do session one on Sabbath. Watch this before you come. It's that simple to kind of give people a basic outline. Because you know, if you don't get the why behind the disciplines and you just go right to the how, that's where people, if they don't have a really robust theology, they can kind of get into legalism or confusion or just some really unhealthy places. So we just wanted to kind of frame that up for people. Now, um, I just want to field question, kind of field test any questions that you guys have, and then I want to introduce you to two people before we're done. But uh, do we have a runner? Uh, Katya, you're up. Great. Um, so just any questions that you have um, or feedback or whatever, anything I can clarify that wasn't helpful or clear or whatever, and this can be short, but before we introduce you to two people and send you out for the afternoon. Hi, my name's Derwin. I'm from uh, Vancouver, Canada. Beautiful. Uh, wanted to ask why emotionally healthy, healthy spirituality wasn't one of the first nine. It's been very impactful in my life and in our church. We'd love yeah. to have that tool. Yeah, we love it. So um, we want to do more stuff like that down the road, and uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to get off topic. So we're starting with practices, and then we're going to release courses next. And that will be, so practices are more like disciplines that you work into your life, and then the hope is that they're in your life until you die. Whereas something like emotionally healthy spirituality is like you go through this season of dealing with your past or becoming self-aware, and it's more like concentric circles. It's not like every Thursday. You can't put emotionally healthy spirituality in a rule of life. You know, it's like, it's not like every Thursday I deal with my past, you know? But it's like a season. Thursday, 3 p.m. to 3.45, deal with your father wound, you know? It's not like that. So those are really important things, and we just love so much the work that they are doing. So we have our version of that that we hope to do, um, but that's kind of phase two, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know where Katya is, but... There she is. Or oh, we got Sam now too. Thanks, bud. Thanks. I'm Sarah. I'm from, I live in London currently. Um, my question is from all of the beta churches. Um, has anybody experienced doing this with children in the groups? And what, what is the um, recommendation on having children around? Oh, that's so lovely. Um, you South African. Oh, that's lovely. We're so happy to have you. I love being South African. Yes. I can't answer for the beta churches. Um, Yeah, you want to answer on behalf? That'd be great. Knoxville, right? Yep. My name is Adam. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, we did the Sabbath with my children and the simplicity with my children. And uh, my daughter, who's five, about once a quarter says, Dad, what stuff can we get rid of now? Like, she just loves it. She thinks it's so exciting. And uh, with the Sabbath, as we started implementing that, um, they started looking forward to the Sabbath. And even before my five-year-old knew what days of the week were which, she'd wake up in the morning and say, part of our Sabbath rhythm is we sat around a fire with our neighbors. And so she would say, Dad, is today fire day? And I'd say, no, that's coming in two days. And she was looking forward to 
just the break. So wow. it's definitely something you need to include your kids on. They'll love it. That's amazing. I remember when our kids were really little, like, you know, kids don't have any concept of time. And so it's like the day after Sabbath, be like, is today Sabbath, Daddy? Is tomorrow? No, it was two days ago. Is tomorrow Sabbath, Daddy? Just always. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I can also say that I think um, our desire down the road would be to build like a kind of sub-curriculum for kids and like all sorts of creative ideas like what Joy is doing at Bridgetown. But again, we're, we're literally starting this thing from scratch. So it's kind of one step at a time. And Sabbath is very much a community practice. So if you're going through that, there's a bunch of stuff where parents would be invited to bring their children in and do various Sabbath things that are kind of spelled out there. There's not like a specific four, six-year-olds, what you do. We have a lot of ideas, but that's like, give us a little time. But great question. One or two others? Katya, maybe down front or? Uh, Josh Wall, Western Michigan, quick question. Logistically, you broke out some of the times, like this is 20, this is 15. The whole package to oh, do one, what's, yes. what would that be? I'm so, sorry. I'm so sorry that I did not clarify that. Um, I would say an hour to an hour and 10, not including a meal. Yep. I mean, again, it's all like, you know, conversation. You can do six minutes or you could do an hour. You know what I mean? And that's totally up to you. As the, as the leader or the group or how much time they have or do they have to like get kids to bed or whatever. But we built it to be run in about an hour or if a little bit more relaxed, an hour and 10 minutes. Uh, Randy Blankenship, Camden, Tennessee. Would it be too far off topic for you to talk just a little bit about your 21 day silent retreat where you took only your Bible? I'd, let's chat about it afterwards. I, I, I would love to chat about that. Maybe not with everybody. Um, it's a little too close to home. But uh, <laughs> no, I did a 21-day solitude thing that just about killed me. But it was an extraordinary experience. Yeah, let's chat about it after. I'd love that. Katya in the front row, maybe. And then, or Sam, you got one there. The balcony comes alive. Yeah, my name is Hunter. I'm from Denver, Colorado. We have a uh, multi-ethnic and multilingual context. Mm. Um, is it probably down the road for like a Spanish version or yeah. any just thoughts for appropriating that for our ESL folks? You know, I was chatting to um, a pastor from Brazil last night. We've had a bunch of requests for Spanish and, uh, and Portuguese. Um, the, the trick there is, yes, it wouldn't be that hard to do subtitles, you know what I mean? But I would really want that to come through uh, a a Mexican or a Venezuelan or a Brazilian, not through me, um, because it's so, it's so contextualized to where life actually is. So I don't have an answer for that other than we've had a bunch of requests. It would be an honor to build this for other cultures, other languages, but I think we, we could easily start by doing some subtitles. That would be really easy to do, but to really honor those cultures, I think we'd we'd want to go for it, and we're nowhere close to ready to do something like that. So I think that's a great question. In the meantime, we can work on maybe just a couple of the major ones, Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese, seeing if we could get a subtitle version available. If that would be helpful. If you, if you would like that, let us know. If that's like, well, I don't know if that's one person in the room or 19 of you, let us, let us know. So. Oh, you don't have to clap, but awesome. Oh, Puerto Rico! Gracias. 
Cool. Uh, my name is Zach. Um, I'm from California. Um, and I know different churches have different views on this, but what would like the integration of this content look like, if different at all, for churches who are very much uh, more directed towards like non-believers in their Sunday gatherings, um, who are more like just seeking um, people who don't know Jesus? Like what would this look like integrating like the practices of Jesus for people who might not know Jesus if they're the primary target audience of specific churches? Well, I'm just gonna shoot straight with you. As far as what we have made and written and put to film and stuff, it is very much designed at people who want to follow Jesus. But I do think many of the practices have a really, you know, I would probably word it differently if I was talking to a group that was seekers or something like that or interested but not yet there. But, you know, there's the whole, there's the whole wisdom tradition approach of scripture you know, the whole Proverbs kind of thing, which people don't realize almost did not make it into the Bible. It was like the most, arguably the most contested book in all of scripture. But there's that whole wisdom tradition, you know, the world around us is drowning for lack of wisdom. You know what I mean? Of just basic, like how do you be human? How do you integrate to your body? How do you be a sexual person? How do you live in community? How do you stay in relationships? How do you stay in a marriage? How do you raise kids that you're not absolutely terrified of or whatever, you know, like there's a, desperate need for, for wisdom. And so, you know, there are certain practices that are incredibly, that have like kind of a felt need to them, not at the discipleship level of like deepening union with God, but Sabbath, you know, even fasting for a lot of people, silence, simplicity, there's lots of like secularized versions of this out there. Pico Ayer, if you've read his thing, where he basically argues for a secular Sabbath and secular silence, and he like interviews all these Christian monks and tries to talk about how to do that if you're a secular person in Silicon Valley, and you're like, bro, you're like just missing the best part of all of these disciplines. But you could do that almost as like an invitation. I don't think like through the seeker men's side, it's not a criticism of it, it's just not how my brain is wired and kind of how my heart is, is built as a pastor but I understand that and I respect that and I think they could be repurposed very much to invite people into this wisdom of the lifestyle of Jesus, of living in community, living simply, creating space for joy and also for silence, for Sabbath and also meaningful contribution for us. These are just like, the closer you live to Jesus' intentions, the more that you will flourish and thrive. So um, I think they could really be repurposed for people, but the way we actually worded everything was very much like, this is how you deepen your discipleship to Jesus, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, great question. Maybe one or two more, and then I want to just respect your time. And again, we're around to answer questions offline. We'll be around tonight and tomorrow as well. Hi, my name's Phil from San Diego. Uh, just a question about when you guys are building the practice. Is there a sequence? Like, are they all standalone practices? And I know you guys are still developing, but eventually is it something where there's an order to it, or is it just... That's a great question. Not hard and fast. Again, it'll take us about, if all the funding comes in, it'll take us about two years to get the nine out. And um, there is kind of, it'll be longer than that because we want to release some courses that would ideally go first. Um, there is, like, we will have a recommended pathway for those of you that kind of want to go through this over a year or a year and a half or whatever. But no, they are all standalone. There's a rough order, you know what I mean? Like we started with Sabbath on purpose and I wouldn't start with some of the other ones. I wouldn't start with fasting or whatever. So there's a rough order that we will roughly release them in. 
but it's not, it's not even remotely a hard and fast kind of this is how you do it and this is the order you do it in. But we will, once the resource library is kind of built, um, and then we have all sorts of ideas beyond that, but I'm gonna discipline myself to just talk about this for now, because this is like the next two years of my life. Um, once that's built, we will have a recommended pathway. But again, this is all like, you can use, we're designing it to be really flexible and customizable. Anybody else? Is that it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Brendan from Tampa, Florida. Uh, just hey. a quick question. Um, is there gonna be like a rule of life? I know you guys introduced the rule of life builder as a tool a while back. Is that gonna be something that's included in like the intro to the practicing the way video or uh, how is that gonna be incorporated into the early material? Um, not right away. We're working on that because we really wanna not nail it, but we really wanna fine tune it before we kinda offer it out there. So we are working on a recommended rule of life that is the rule that I live by, that our kind of team will live by, that we will make available for churches that want to just adopt this or adapt it as they want. And that'll all be available with teaching and stuff like that on our, on our website. We'll eventually do a course on it and stuff like that. But again, we're just trying to discipline ourselves to kind of go slow because we really want to do a good job with that, you know? And, uh, and we've been on this journey for a long time, but there's a lot to it, you know? And really the search for a rule of life, we'll talk more about this tomorrow, is like all the rules of history were kind of like a customized spirituality for a particular people in a particular place in a particular time. So if you read the rule of Benedict, it's you know incredible. And it's customized for celibate monks in sixth century Italy. And it was like an, a way of, of following Jesus that was transformative for those people in that place at that time. Same with like the Philokalia or other options like that in the East. So what, what is that for people today that are not monks and nuns, that have careers and iPhones and live in cities or metropolitan areas or wherever that are living in the crazy political stuff? What is that Christian spirituality for our time and era where it's like if you live this way, it's not a silver bullet, it's not gonna fix all of your problems, you're not a widget, but you are going to experience deepening life with God and transformation into the image of the Son year over year. That's the question, and it's just too important of a question to like make up a cool alliteration thing and throw it on a website and say, this is our rule of life, you know? So I think we wanna discipline ourselves to go slowly, but yes, that will come, yeah. But make your own, I mean, there's not a, again, you know what I mean, you know your church, you know your people, you know what they need, you know where they're at, what they could begin with, you know? walk them into it over a long period of time. Katya, whatever you want. Yeah, one more. Okay. I just want to respect people's time. So let's do one more. And then, again, we'll be available, and we'll do more of this tomorrow. This is Katya, by the way. She made Hi. all the awesome stuff up here. She's amazing. Hey. Uh, hi. So once you, so you just finished your five years of doing this with Bridgetown. Once, we've done uh, like a four-week series on Sabbath. We've done personally a small group with it. We've done a recap of it, Sunday morning teachings. Uh, what's like the forward movement? You've taken that group of people, but you get new people through. Do you just keep teaching all of these over and over and over again? Once you teach one group of people, how do you keep it moving forward when you get new people or people that haven't done it, but you're hoping the rest of the church jumps in? Yeah, I mean, I love that question. That's great. So again, it would where you start would depend on where you go and you know how it works for you and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Tyler would have to answer that for what Bridgetown is thinking next, which is more like 
formational school, like almost, um, I, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but my understanding of what he and Bethany are thinking of now that, we've, that Bridgetown's been through this journey, rather than just go back and start over again, you know, for however many people are new to the church, but we have all these people, especially in an urban context, it's really transient, and especially after 2020, so we have all these people that were not here or they came halfway through or at the tail end. So I think what he's thinking is almost like a nine-month process that's almost like a semester thing that you, if you join the church, you go, this is your first year in community, is going through these practices and this experience, and then you go into these other kind of versions of communities. So that's one option. There's a whole, you could do the Sunday school model, you could do course model, you could do formation model, you could do a church order. That's something we're working on, we'll talk more about down the road. So there's lots of different creative ideas that you could go at. Um, in the meantime, it's gonna, it would take you a while to get through kind of nine practices or whatever if you chose to do that. But yeah, I would just start thinking um, how, how do we create kind of uh, entry pathways for people that are new to our church or weren't a part of this when we went through to walk them into this, you know? And then let, or let other people function as sponsors. You know, this was the, it's the AA model and it's actually the early church model from Catechumenate, if you're familiar with that, where you had to have a sponsor that was like an older follower of Jesus that would take you through the discipleship program and sit, and they would just sit through this program over and over again. It was really formative for them, so. Lots of cool stuff we can talk about. Um, great. I just want to introduce you to two people, and then we're going to kick you out to enjoy the city. Uh, Brian, will you come on up here really fast? I just want to introduce you to my friend Brian. This is Brian Roundsen, who uh, is a... Oh, you got this. Great. No, that's good. Brian is a pastor at uh, a church that is a sister church to us, The Garden in Long Beach, California. Yep. And uh, hence the sunshine and the blonde hair. You're actually not that tan. I am the whitest person. We, my wife and I lived in Northern Ireland, and I was the whitest person in Northern Ireland. <laughs> and that's saying something. Yeah, yes. Well done. Yeah. So Brian's a dear friend of mine. Um, yeah. When we started practicing the way, I tried to hire him, and he turned me down, and I'm working through inner healing and forgiveness uh, over it. We recovered. No, but we and uh, uh, he, myself, and Bethany kind of actually architected the Sabbath practice together, and we'll do that kind of going forward as we can and was a conversation partner in this podcast that we're doing. So Brian's just an incredible kind of well of uh, wisdom for spiritual formation. And I just wanted you to know him, uh, to give him a little bit of a plug. You are kind of starting a little bit of a pastoral facing yeah. organization to just kind of help churches kind of almost figure out how to yeah. work formation into their local churches. So maybe yeah. just say a quick word about that. And mostly I just want you to know Brian. Yeah, well, it's honestly just getting to meet you. It's such a privilege to be here. Thank you for hosting this. John Mark, watching you in this space it's been like, probably for you as well, really honoring to see John Mark lead in such a powerful way back in the space at Bridgetown, but the community that you've led here and also just the pastors here, they're here because of your faithfulness. And I just wanna say that, because I wasn't here earlier. I don't know if that got said, but I just wanna say thank you. Um, honestly, the Q&A time teed up everything that I, that I do. Genuinely, we could take all these practices. How many of you know that you can participate in all the structures of the church? and still not grow in intimacy, still not grow in wholeness, still not grow in spiritual authority and holiness and maturity. And these questions are really helpful because what happens is transformation happens in specificity. So you could take everything and export it 
and it may not work because you don't know how to play it into your community, into your culture. I think the, the comment about how to translate this into different spaces is really important. And um, I was raised in a, in a, I was brought up in a teaching culture that said by my mentor that if you became a pastor, you are taking a step back from vocational ministry because the vocational ministers are the actual ones on the front line. And our job is to give them the vocational imagination to live the kingdom of God in their workplace. And over the last few years, my wife and I have discerned this call to step back even from equipping to support those who are equipping. And that's what John Mark's talking about. We lead an, an organization called Roots and Embers and our whole premise is to help pastors go on this journey of the deep work as Tyler said at the very beginning of the session that I came to. He said, if it's not in your church, if the hot coals aren't there, then it will never work. So to answer your question, John Mark did this really well. It's not gonna be something that you can just teach over and over again because you, experience doesn't equal maturity. Right? Insight doesn't equal healing or transformation. And if the church, the central leadership and our hot coals aren't there, then it's not gonna flow out of it. And you've modeled that well here at Bridgetown, they've continued to model that well. And so what we love to do is we partner with churches, we partner with senior leaders and leadership teams and emerging leaders to go on that journey and to see how in the specificity of their city and their location with their history, how formation can be a team thing and not just an individual thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Brian, appreciate you. So, um, yeah, again, we're just trying to create a learning community, you know? Um, so, and then Brandon, before we're done, I want you to, I want to introduce you, this is Brandon Shields. Give him a, a nice warm welcome. Um, we, uh, Brandon and I barely know each other, but we're having a blast getting to know each other. We just hired Brandon part-time as our director of church engagement. You lead a church called Soma in Indianapolis, or Indy, as yes. you would say, which yes. sounds so much, I mean, Indianapolis sounds fine, but Indy sounds, Indy. It sounds pretty cool. Yes. Um, maybe that's just because I grew up in the late 90s playing <laughs> indie rock. I don't know. Yes. But uh, I-N-D-Y. Oh, yes. No, I-N-D-I-E. Yes. And uh, you have an incredible story. We'll hear a little bit more of his story tomorrow about kind of the church tradition that you come out of and then kind of going toward formation, which was very, like, new for you. But maybe just now, anything that you want to say to these people before we, before we call it an afternoon, uh, Brandon's going to really work about how do we create this learning community? How do we resource you? How do we serve you? How do we listen to you and learn with you? And uh, that's kind of where you're going to give a chunk of your time. Yes. So... Super honored, humbled to be invited onto this team. As Joe Mark said, I am a lead pastor. I was a church planter. Now I'm a lead pastor in the Midwest. So I'm on this journey with you. Uh, I have a lot of the same questions. We've been, I've been on this journey personally for 10 years. And for the last five years, our church has been trying to organize around this idea of deep formation and transformation. And so we're very much on this journey. And I know it's uh, easy to come into a place like this and feel uh, inspired. There's just a divine energy that's in this room. But what I wanna help you with and what we wanna help you with is to move from inspiration to integration and to implementation. A lot of the questions that have come up even in the short time here have been around how do I actually do this? How do I actually begin to implement this in my context? And what's the next step for us as a church, for me as a leader, for our staff, those hot coals, to engage and to, to take those next steps. So a couple of things I wanted to share quickly with you guys. One, uh, run the practice, some invitations. Run the practice, download the practice, begin to run it, get a group of people together here over the next several weeks 
and just begin to run that practice. Get on our website, download the materials, and, and get into it. There's nothing like experiential learning uh, to begin to move us in that direction. So we are gonna help you with that. So part of our job as a team is to make sure that you're equipped for that. So on the 27th of this month, we'll have a group leader training. Um, we'll get online, we'll make that available, a webinar, you can uh, participate in that. We'll give you everything you need to be set up well to run uh, that practice should you choose to do that here in the next uh, several weeks. Also as a part of that, I'm gonna be hosting a weekly Q&R we just get online together uh, in a Zoom format or something like that, and we just answer questions. We talk about best practices, we share stories with each other. We just wanna make sure that you have a space to begin to help equip each other for this work and to invite in others who have done this before to share some of those practices with you. So we'll have more information about that coming, but a weekly q and will be a part of that as well. And then uh, also, we, next year, John Mark mentioned this idea of a learning community. And I know for me in the, the Midwest at least, uh, this is weird for a lot of people. And, and as I looked around and trying to figure out what does it look like to do this as a church, there aren't a lot of models. There aren't a lot of people trying to do this. And so we're always trying to figure out how, how do we do this? How do we you know, work this into our core systems and structures? And so we want to help create a learning community. I think the thing that I've felt more than anything else over the last five years is just a sense of loneliness and some of the anxiety that comes along with, you know, how do we do this? Are we doing this right? All of those things that I'm sure you guys, the, the inner journey that we're on in, in doing spiritual formation. So we want to create some learning communities. And I think there's two kind of primary audiences in mind. One, some of you are here, um, probably about half of you are lead pastors or senior pastors. You are the ones architecting your congregational systems. And what you need is gonna be a little bit different than maybe the other half of you who are staff members, youth pastors, children's pastors, groups pastors, uh, volunteer leaders. And so we wanna try to create uh, different kinds of learning communities where we can come together in a more personalized environment and begin to not just work on our own spiritual formation and deepen our own formation, but begin to do that work of integration and help each other along on that journey. And I think that the community of practice, a learning community, is one of the primary ways we wanna do that. So we don't have details on that yet. We're still excited, still building out a lot of how that's gonna work but really excited and I would love to meet you. So if you have a minute, just please come and grab me, introduce yourself. Uh, would love to meet you and, and pray with you and hear your story and uh, just be an encouragement for you. So thanks, honored to be here. That's amazing. Yeah. Why don't you pray for everybody? Let's stand together and uh, before you go out, enjoy a few hours in the city or a nap or a walk in the park or whatever. Um, we just bless you. Love you guys so much, bless you. It's just such an honor that you would even ask these kinds of questions. Uh, just really water to my soul. Yeah. Would you just pray? Our good Father, we are thankful that you have invited us into communion and fellowship with you, with your son Jesus, with your spirit who lives in us. We just wanna receive now the gift of your presence together to be reminded that there's not a thing that's happening in our lives that is not seen, that is not known by you, that's not held together by your presence and your power and your purposes for us in Christ Jesus. And so God, we just wanna, we wanna receive that as good news, that you have done all the heavy lifting, that you have done everything that we cannot do for ourselves. And so God, would you just relieve us of the burden of needing to make something happen, of needing to try to do this in our own power and strength and resources. God, would you just take away any worry or anxiety 
as we listen, and there's so many details and so much that we are considering and thinking about and wrestling with and struggling through in our own hearts as we think about our congregations, about the people that, that come to our community, and for those who aren't even here yet, who we know this is going to bless. We, we just wanna hold before you all that's imperfect and incomplete and uncertain, and we ask you to perfect it. We ask you and your grace to finish the good work that you started before the foundation of the world that you will carry out into eternity. And God, we know that life begins now. And so we wanna just step into the, the current of what you've already been doing. And we wanna receive just the gift of your presence with us and for us. And so God bless my brothers and sisters as we go this afternoon and we delight and enjoy uh, this city, enjoy food, enjoy conversations. God, would you bless your people? Would you be faithful to do all that you've promised? And we'll believe you and trust you for that. And all God's people said, amen. Bless you. See you back tonight at 7. Can't wait to listen with John and really looking forward to our night together. Enjoy the city. Have a great couple hours. See you in a bit.